Good morning, church. I'm going to repeat a couple of those announcements just because I want to embellish a little bit parts of it. Uh, this has been a good morning. One, there, so there have been a lot of highlights and a lot of good things already. One of the highlights of my morning was uh, after the, the band uh, warmed up a little bit this morning <laughs> and I, we started playing some music. We played the song to which Corey and Hannah marched out yesterday. So those of you who are here know, if, if you were here yesterday, you know they marched out to I Feel Good. Uh, so the look on Bill's face when, I, when we first turned that on today was one of the highlights of my morning because it was kind of a, I think it was a surprise to him. <laughs> uh, so Mr. and Mrs. Corey Merrill, uh, many, many Years of happy marriage together. Amen? Uh, as mentioned more than once today, Pastor David and Mike Lewis are in the air now, I think, uh, headed south uh, to Columbia and not South Carolina, but South America, uh, so a little further. So just quickly, just by a show of hands, Anybody willing to commit to pray for them every single day that they're gone? <laughs> Amen. Me too. So, if if David or Mike should happen to hear the recording, they're room full of hands, and just know that uh, we know God can and God will. Um, regarding the Whirligig Festival that she mentioned. I just want to tell you that there are some really big numbers that people are talking about as far as numbers of attendees. I've heard numbers between 40 and 70,000. So what a wonderful opportunity for us to be able to, to show them what impact church thinks about the people. Uh, next Sunday, Ralph Pollitt is going to be speaking. And... I'm just, I wanted to, he's not here today, couldn't be here today, so without him being here, I wanted to thank him for letting me go first, because he's probably going to set the bar really high, and I didn't want to have to follow him, so uh, I'm glad I get to go first. Uh, so the challenge for me when preparing for this, uh, for, for today, is what from, from what God is sharing with me, what of that is just for Michael and what of it is for everybody else here? Uh, so I think the truth is that a lot of it might be just for me, but, this, but the, the principles that God uses to teach me apply to all of us, regardless of the situation. Uh, so we're going to incorporate the things. So if I, if I move around today, so first of all, as far as moving around, the last time I spoke, we had two aisles, and I wasn't speaking to an empty aisle. I was speaking to people. So if I move around today and start pointing at people, I'm really pointing at myself because I'm saying, Michael, I want you to really get this. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, we're going to spend some time in the Gospel of John, and I want to get to chapter 14, but to get there, 
we're going to start in uh, chapter 12. And while you're turning there, I'm going to sneak over here and say, would you find... She's going to find the verse that we'll use later. So, starting, we're going to go through some of John chapter 12. I'm going to start with verse 23. And this is where Jesus is telling the multitude, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So, in this time that he is speaking to the multitude, Jesus is foretelling his death uh, to the multitudes. So we're going to kind of skip around to some of the verses that I want to talk about in here. Um, so Jesus told him there in 23, uh, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Go over to verse 27, the latter part of it uh, says that, but for this purpose I came to this hour. So I just want to reiterate um, from this verse that Carla is looking up, we, I just want to reiterate what that purpose is. Why did Jesus, why was the Christ manifested as Jesus on the earth? He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen. So, why Jesus? The answer is that he might destroy the works of the enemy. That, that was uh, 1 John 3, uh, verse 8. So when, he, when Jesus talks in verse 27 here about the purpose. So he said, for this purpose I came. And then in verse 28, the next verse, he says, Father, glorify thy name. And there came a voice out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the people thought that Wow, an angel is talking back to Jesus because he said, Father, be glorified. And then look down in verse 30, what Jesus said to the people. This voice, the voice that you heard, has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. So just to let you know, this is, this is, this is the heaven letting the people know that God has glorified his name and will do it again. So let's go down to, we're still in chapter 12. Uh, verse 35, for a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, that darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. Keep reading, 36, while you have the light, believe in the light. So that that word's going to come up a few times today, lots of times actually, believe while you have the light, believe in the light in order that you may become sons of the light. We're skipping all, skipping all the way down to the next, in my Bible, the next uh, red letters is verse 44. He who believes, there's the word again, he who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to do this, but I'm going to turn back quickly to um, chapter 6, this is when God was talking to his, uh, a group of people, or Jesus was talking to a group of people there. And one of the people said, what shall we do 
and this is verse 28 of, verse, of chapter 6. What shall we do that, that we may work the works of God? And so from Jesus, who knows everything, right? He's part of the Trinity, omniscient. You could expect, wow, this could be, what an answer. I better get my notepad, right? Because, because somebody just asked Jesus, what can I do to work the works of God? Uh, so I'm thinking, all right, get the notepad because this is going to be a long list of, of tasks that we're going to have to, that we're going to have to work on. Uh, and in verse 29, here's what Jesus answered him. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That was it. That was the list. So what, what is our job to do if you want to do the works of God? And that's to believe in, the, in him whom God sent. So we'll talk later about another word uh, that can be interchanged or just a synonym for the word believe. But I just want to stop, and you don't have to answer this question, but just ask yourself, do you believe? Do you believe what God said? Do you believe what he said he has done and what he said he's going to do? Uh, so don't answer that to me, but answer, do answer that to yourself. So still headed towards chapter 14. We're going to go over to 13 now. And in chapter 13, uh, Jesus is having the Lord's Supper with his disciples. He's washed their feet. Uh, he has predicted his betrayal, and he's told them, where I'm going, you cannot go. Um, so now I'm going to verse chapter 13, verse uh, 34. And so before I read it, I want to just, I want to say that Jesus has already foretold his death with the multitude, and now he is with his smaller group of disciples. And so nearing the end of his ministry, this is the time to take notes, right? This is the time that, all right, I'm going to give you the, the really important stuff here at the end of my ministry. So here we are in John 13, uh, verse 34. It says, a new commandment I give you. Oh, okay, so time to get the notepad again, right? A new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Keep reading the next verse. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So my question, and you can't answer this one. Some of, some of these questions are for yourself, but this one uh, you can't answer. That in the year 2018, if we were to love one another, in a way that people could see it, do you think that would set the church apart from the world? Absolutely. I agree with you. I think that this, this commandment that he gave us, and he said, and if you do this, men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So in 2018, I really think that's a wonderful thing that we can, that we can make a goal uh, is to show that and to set the church apart by doing that. So I have, October's my, just as a side note, October's my allergy season, so I hope you don't have to suffer the symptoms. Uh, that's the reason I didn't wear the other mic, so you can, so I could take this mic away from my face from time to time if I need to. So now we're getting to where I wanted to go, and that's John chapter 14. And in my Bible, this wasn't part of the original scripture, but this was uh, 
the people who translated it uh, did some subtitles, and they titled this chapter or the beginning of it, Jesus Comforts His Disciples. So this is, again, this is near the end of his ministry, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And, and what does he want to do? One of the things he wants to do is comfort them. And so the first verse says, let not your heart be troubled. Look at there, there's that word again. So let not your heart be troubled, and let me tell you what you can do about it. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So there we go again. There, we're back to believing again. So let's go to skip all the way over. There's lots of red letters in this chapter. Uh, skip all the way over to verse 16 there in John 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and it's kind of it's a little, just a little bit different, one word difference. He didn't say in this case that it's my Father. He said the Father. So I'm going to stop there just long enough to say that Jesus is speaking here, and if you look at the commentaries, Jesus is not speaking here as somebody who says, my father, as as part as you're my sister and you're my brother and our father, he's saying the father. And he's representing himself, Jesus is representing himself at this point as part of the Trinity. So he's just saying, I'm gonna I'm just talk, I'm gonna talk to the Father. And so, you know, when when we have our regular meeting, uh, I'm gonna talk to the Father. Still in sixteen, and he will give you another helper. And some ver- some versions say comforter there. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit. So, that's, so I'm going to talk to the Father. And he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. So forever includes 2018, right? And includes next year too. Okay. We're going to come back to that verse because I, there's something else that we're going to come back to that verse for that, that's really important to me. Um, but for right now, we're going to move forward to uh, same same chapter down to verse 22, John 14 um, and verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, meaning Jesus, Lord, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? So you're meeting here with the 12 of us, and, and you're, you're telling us these things, but are, are you not going to tell the, the rest of the people? What's going on with that? So here's what Jesus said to that in verse 23. If anyone loves me, that, that includes the other people, right, that he just, that, that this person was asking Jesus about the rest of the world. So if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So we'll, let's stop right there. This is, this is an if-then statement. This is, if this happens, then this happens. So it, it's kind of a, it's a principle of relation between a person who would love Jesus and what, and where we're going with, with the rest of that verse. So I'm still going to stay in that first phrase there. If somebody loves God, then he's going to want to do what pleases God, right? Okay. Um, so it's not my job to judge you. It's not my job to say, um, I, I think the way you behaved on Friday night was not very godly. It's not my, it's not my place to do that. It's my place to say, I want you to meet God. And when you get to know him, you're going to find out the essence of God is love, and you're going to get to know him so well that you're going to want to do things that please him. And if you have behaviors that aren't right, it's not my job to talk to you about those because you and God are going to work that out because you're going to want to do things that please God, and you're going to want to behave in a way that pleases God. I want to say that's one of the, one of the things that the church, uh, the whole church in today's world really could, could do better, I think. 
I think that we can we cannot go and say, man, if you'll start doing this and stop doing this, then you can come to church and try to be more like me. Please don't try to be more like me, <laughs> right? And I mean, all of us would say that, right? Because Jesus is our measuring stick, right? Amen. Okay. So we're back to verse 23 there. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him. We, God the Father and Jesus the Christ, we will come to him and make our abode with him. So we, plural. So this, now we're back here, we're back to Jesus talking like he's part of the Trinity again. So like we were over in verse 16, uh, Jesus is saying, we're going to come. If you do this and this happens, then we're going to come and we're going to just live with you. And we're going to spend time with you. We're going to live in you. All right. So let's move down to... We'll just skip down to verse 26. But the helper, and this is, again, some versions say comforter. And we'll talk more about kind of what that means uh, in a minute. But the helper or the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So... Let's, I'm going to read part of that again. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So only 10 verses ago, Jesus was saying, so I'm going to talk to the Father, and he's going to send you a helper. Uh, and then now, 10 verses later, we're in 26, and he says, so here's, here's what's going to happen when he sends that. So that doesn't feel like there's a lot of doubt in there or question. So now we're back to believing again. One of the things he's been telling us to do over and over and over is believe. And he said that, so I'm going to talk to the Father, and obviously he believes that that's going to happen, right? So there's not a lot of doubt in there. That's how Jesus, that's the relationship, and that's Jesus modeling the relationship with the Father for us. That he said, hey, Father, uh, this is something that I think your children need, so we're going to send it to them, right? Okay, good. And that's the end of it. So and then 10 verses later, he's talking like it's, it's a done deal, right? Because it is. Amen. So I want to talk some more, a little bit, about who that, that comforter is. This is, if you read the definition of the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit, then this is a person who is assigned to be by your side in all situations and help you. And the what I was reading said, and especially in legal matters. So meaning, and I'm not talking about going to court. I'm talking about the laws and, and the laws of God. And I know that we live in an age of grace instead of law, but I'm talking about right and wrong those those laws are still there aren't they so this holy spirit who's going to teach you he's going to teach you and he's going to comfort you and one of the things that i learned uh and i'm getting ahead of myself in my notes when i say this one of the things that i learned uh when i say when i try to spend time with the holy spirit uh there, there's one particular part of my day that this is a reminder of me when i do this when this happens Okay, yeah, if I haven't done so already, we need to spend some time with the Holy Spirit because he's going with me where I'm going. So one of the things that I'll say in my conversation is, 
is teach me and comfort me. And the more I do that, the more I learn that that's the same thing. Because the more he teaches me, the more he says that you got all you need. You got all you need to get through whatever you're going to encounter today. And so as he teaches me that, that is a comfort. That is the same thing. The, the teaching and the comforting. It's the same stuff. So let's talk about another word for believe, and that's trust. So when you say, do you believe God? It's the same to me as saying, do you trust him? Because he said some things. Do you believe it? Do you believe what he said? And he, and do you trust him? And do you, do you trust what he said? So I think I'm backing up a little bit when I say this, but we're going to do it anyway. So back to that, that talking to the Holy Spirit and more importantly, just being spirit-filled. That's something that is a gift that God gives to us because of what Jesus just said in those two verses. Jesus said, well, I'm going to go, but God's going to send somebody for you. He's going to say, I'm going to send the helper, and he's going to be with you. He's going to be with you forever. So people say they were spirit-filled, right? Is this your spirit-filled church? Amen. Yes, you are. So I want to say, and I don't think this applies to anybody in here today. It just applies to other people, I'm sure. Um, I want to say that there's, I think there's probably a few too many people who kind of wear that as a badge. That So, you know, back in 1998, I had this manifestation of my filling with the Holy Spirit. So I checked that off, and I, can, I got that badge that I can sew on my vest here. Well, I think that's the wrong reason to do it. And I think that what you need is the Holy Spirit walking with you and going before you and teaching you and comforting you, comforting you every single day, everywhere you go. So, so, let's, so just remember that it's not, a, it's not a checklist. It's not something that we did before, and now we can move on. It's a daily interaction and a part of that relationship. So now I want to spend some time on um, believing and trusting uh, and how in a lot of ways they mean the same thing to me. So I hope it's okay that if we, I hope it's okay for us to talk about some study of psychology. Uh, so it, this is nothing that's contrary to the Bible. It fits right in with it. So a little bit of study of psychology and, and the trust that we build in life as when uh, just as we progress through life, different stages in life. I mean, the ones that I'm going to talk about today come from Eric Erickson. He was a German-American psychologist and psychoanalyst, and he, uh, his wife, Joan, was an author and an educator. She collaborated with him, and he, he was born in 1902, so, you know, not that, not that long ago, big picture. Um, and so he talked about stages of, of development, and what we're going to change that to apply to relationships with other people, to relationships with God. He was studying it as stages of psychological development through life from birth to late adulthood. But I really think the more I study those, the more they apply to our Christian walk and they apply to our uh, relationships with other people too. 
So the first one that he had, he divided it into eight stages. And the first one is trust versus mistrust. So here's kind of the way it works uh, with him. And then we'll contrast this because it's a little bit different um, with God. So with him, you have to do these in order. You have to do one through eight. And you have to complete one before you go to two. And you have to complete two before you go to three. Now, the good news about our relationship with God, that's not how he works, right? So on day one, you can get one and two and three all the way up to eight all at one time, right? So, and that's a good thing. And the other thing that he says that, that's going to be different for us as far as comparing this to our spiritual walk is that he says, if you messed up stage number one as an infant, then stages two through, seven, two through eight are just going to be messed up for you the rest of your life. Sorry, nothing you, can, nothing you can do about that. And that's not at all like our God, right? That's right. So, so very different there. But there are some comparisons that I do want to make. So let's start with this uh, trust versus mistrust. And that's, he says that this happens between birth and one year. And that means, can I trust what's happening in my world? As opposed to, uh, is it going to be inconsistent and unpredictable and scary? So the, the newborn, the small child, less than a year old, uh, when they're cold, they're going to scream about it, right? And either they're going to just stay cold and miserable and uncomfortable and keep screaming, and they're going to learn to mistrust, and this is a scary world, and there's nothing I can do about it, or their caregiver is going to come and make them warm. Or when they're hungry, their caregiver is going to come and feed them, or all the other needs that you know of, of small infants. And so that initial trust, I really think that we do that with every relationship that we have with people. When I first met my wife, if in the first little while we were getting to know each other, I kind of didn't trust her, then we probably wouldn't be married for more than 25 years now. And when I first met Pastor David, if he didn't have some level of trust, he wouldn't have said, hey, can you uh, think about speaking on the 21st? Uh, so I, I, I should tell you that I told a few people that I got voluntold for that, and that's really not true at all. The truth is it's really an honor to be able to do this. It's an honor to be able to say, God, what do you want to say? And, and I'm willing for you to, to say it through me. Uh, so let me try to get out of the way so you can do it. Uh, so, so there's some trust there. So now let's say we were using the word believe, but let's replace it with the word trust and just say, do you trust God? Because when you first meet him, wow, this, this God thing, there, people are saying some pretty big things about him, and they're saying some, some uh, what's the word, some absolutes. God always does this. God never does this. Those are words that in our daily lives, they're typically not words that you can easily just throw into your vocabulary when you're talking about our relationships with other people. Because <clears throat> I can't say that, I never make Paula mad because sometimes I do stupid things and it makes her really mad. Uh, so, uh, but when you're talking about God, the always and nevers apply. Amen. So, so I'll tell you that as you grow in your relationship with him, if you learn that God always, and then today was a different kind of day, it was hard but God still. And then somebody said, God never. And today was a 
funny day. I've never had that kind of experience before, but God still didn't. So that's always there. And as you, as you do that assessment in your relationship with him, you learn it's true. And, and I think you're probably where I am with that is if one day those things that God always, oh, he didn't do it today. I guarantee you none of you can say that. But if you could, then we're on the wrong team, right? So, but, but when God says, I will, then he will. And you can trust that always. So there's the trust from that piece of, of the relationship. Numbers twenty three nineteen says, God is not human that he should lie, that he should change his mind. Does he promise and not fulfill? So that's one that you can answer. Does he promise and not fulfill? The answer is no. Okay. Uh, Hebrews 13 and 8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right. So, so that trust thing and the believe thing continues to grow as your relationship grows with my wife, with my friends, and with God. The more I grow in my relationship with him, the things that I didn't understand or the more intricate things or the things that, to me, they feel more complicated. God said, I will. That, then I start to understand them. And I know that even if I don't understand what God did or didn't do, it still follows his I wills, and it still follows his I will nots, and he never changes. So, so the trust there is, is really the foundation. And I, so in, the psycho, in this psychoanalyst, he says you've got to do that before you're a year old. And the good news for us in our walk with God is that we don't have to do that at the end. We can, we can do it at, some, at any point in our life. We can say, God, I, I, didn't, I didn't know you before, but I want to know you now. And he'll say, come here. He'll receive the creator will receive you with love every single time. Guaranteed. So let's talk. So that's, that's kind of my favorite of, of the eight phases. And we might get out early today. We'll see. We might be done early because I've got seven to go. But, but I won't. Uh, that one is the, is the most exciting one. So, so we may not spend as much time on the other ones. Uh, the second one is autonomy versus shame and doubt. That's the way he said it. And kind of what that means to him is when these one to three-year-olds, that's the age for this second group, when they are doing for themselves, they're, they're learning how to interact with their environment, then they learn self-confidence and they learn self-control. And if they, they can, they learn that, they learn I can, and they know what to expect when they do. But if, if they always meet failure, or if every time they do, they're punished, or if they're labeled as inadequate, then instead of autonomy, instead of I can, then what they learn is shame and doubt. So my friends at DSS, Department of Social Services, one of the topics uh, in their world that they're studying and, and teaching about and trying to interact with the public about is trauma. And because of my vocation, trauma means something really different. Uh, you know, it means broken bones and that kind of thing. Um, but trauma to them means small children who are abused, and they say, so we studied that, and we see what the long-term effects are. And they see that uh, small children who don't have access to good uh, nutrition, these are the lifelong effects of that, and they study that. And so, 
and I'm not going to try to refute any of that or argue with it, but I do want to say, what does God say about that? I want to say, it is, wherever, whatever, your, whatever your shortfall, no matter what the reason, what does God say about that? Uh, he doesn't say, well, that's just where you are. I guess you're just going to have to live with that for the rest of your life. So, the, like I said, some contrast uh, to what these things say. So just remember what God said about that. Jeremiah, um, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament, is said to have encountered more opposition and hatred than any of the other prophets. So he had, he had some things hard. Uh, Jeremiah, first chapter, verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So, first of all, God is the one who formed Jeremiah. God formed you also. And before God formed Jeremiah and before God formed you and me, he knew us. So, God didn't create us to be labeled as inadequate and to live a life with shame or self-doubt. And he knew us, and he knew where we were going to walk, and he knew where we were going to, every step that we were going to take before we were formed in our mother's womb, because he's the one that formed us, and he's the one that put us there. And he knows us better than we know ourselves. And when I say that, it reminds me of our friend Philbert and what he says about that. He says, God is gooder to you than you are to yourself. <laughs> so in every stage, and we're going to go through some of the other ones um, briefly, uh, God's got you in every one of them. With him, you don't have to wait 18 years just to get to stage five, because you do if you're going to stick with Erickson. With God, you don't. And so I remember when I first started coming to this church, and there's a lot of funny stories about that that I don't know if we've got time for them or not. Uh, Miss Lanice reminded me of some in just the funniest times. Uh, but when I first started coming to this church, I thought people like Pastor Eric and at the time Associate Pastor uh, David List, who is now our, our pastor, uh, I feel like they're so much more spiritually mature than me, and they've been living in this thing for so long. Uh, pastor Eric ministered for more than 50 years how in the world it's kind of discouraging and then the what one of them told me it doesn't work that way you don't have to go 50 years to get where i am because that because god because if you if you if you charted his spiritual spiritual growth if it went up on a chart like that nice and slow he said god doesn't have to do it that way god can make a short a steep curve and you can go up real fast you just got to trust him you walk with him so, so let's talk about one of the parables, excuse me, one of the parables that uh, I think tends to be a little bit controversial for people who don't understand it. Um, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus told a parable, uh, he said, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So you're, you're familiar with that uh, parable, I'm sure. So he hired that, la the, the, uh, the landowner hired for his vineyard. He hired some first, in the, first thing in the morning. 
Then he hired some more at the third hour and the sixth and the ninth. And he hired some workers even at the eleventh hour. And at the end of the day, he prorated their wages. Their wages? No, he didn't. He didn't pro- prorate their wages. He said, he said, they all get the same. He said, everybody gets the same wages because all of you have come to be with me. And all of you have said that I, I came to, to work in your vineyard. And so that's how God looks at us. So he doesn't say that, well, you're new at this. I'm going to give you this little bit. And it's, that's not the way it is. Uh, so thank, thank God for, for his gracious and generosity towards us. We're going to go quickly through some of these other stages. Um, the third stage we won't spend time with is initiative versus guilt. Uh, and that's kind of I can do things or everything I do is wrong. Uh, so I'm not going to spend time there today. Uh, the fourth one is industry versus inferiority. And this, so this inferiority, that's one that I think some of us have some experience with is a feeling of inferiority. And that, that indicates some sort of comparison to something because if you're inferior, then you're inferior to what? So, so there's, it indicates some sort of comparison there. Um, and even, so he says this is for 6 to 11-year-olds. So at that time in your life, you'd say, she's taller than I am. Or he finished the coloring page before I did. So there's a comparison of some kind. And you have to choose, does that make me feel inferior just because he finished the, the assignment uh, before me? So we're going to talk some more later about self-talk, the things that we say to ourselves. And so the question is right here, what does God say? Does God say that we're inferior? Does God say that we're less than? And, of course, the answer is no. Didn't he know you before he formed you in the womb? We already talked about that. Do you believe him and do you trust him? So what? I'm looking for some of the young people who have recently come from the youth group. What's the name of the youth, the church's youth group? Say it again. Say it louder. Chosen. Where did that come from? Y'all know That's right. It comes from First Peter, right? First Peter chapter two, uh, where we're told you're chosen. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Let's talk about uh, what what the writer says uh, to Timothy in, the, in Second Timothy. He did not give you a spirit of fear, but he gave you what? He gave you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. So when you need to measure yourself and you're trying to decide, am I inferior, go to God first and see what he said about you. Remember, you can remember those things. God said you're a holy nation. God said you're a royal priesthood. He said he didn't, he didn't give you a spirit of fear. What did he say in Jeremiah 29, verse 11? That's a very popular one. He talked about the plans he has for us, right? Plans to prosper and not to fail. So we're going to move on through these, and we'll probably finish up early today. Uh, so count your blessings, right? Because uh, next week, Ralph's coming, and I don't make any promises. Uh, the next one, it talks about um, ego identity versus ego diffusion and 
when you figure out what you can do or when you figure out what you're good at, how does that integrate with who you think you are? So I, I want to just move on, move right on past that one. Intimacy versus isolation. And this is when we start getting into early adulthood, according to the psychologist there. This is the time that you share yourself with someone uh, without losing who you are. So what comes to mind there is what we did here yesterday, right? So I, I'm going to take some ownership of her, and all of you do too. Our Hannah, right? Our little Hannah uh, has become one with Corey, and, and they will always be Mr. and Mrs. Corey. Uh, but, but she hasn't lost her identity. So, so, so there's the, uh, she can be intimate with him in a marriage relationship, just like we can, without, uh, in, in our relationships, um, without losing identity. Moving to the next one, generativity versus self-absorption. Now, here's one of the things that I really think that, uh, that applies to our, our walk with God. So, generativity meaning putting back versus self-absorption, take and, and keep right here. Um, so, when we uh, first... I was raised in a church that said, if you don't change, you're going to hell. You better do this or you're going to hell. I don't want to go to hell. So what do I need to do to not go to hell? Well, this is what you need to do. Okay, thank you. I'll do it. I got it. Uh, so y'all, I'm good. Y'all just leave me alone because I know where I'm going now. So leave me alone, right? That's, that's the self-absorption part that I'm talking about. Uh, and don't get me wrong. That's the most important decision that we all ever make, right? Is to accept the free gift of salvation that was offered to us when Jesus died. So, but what's next? What's next is I, you, you, you grow in that relationship with God and you get to know him and you say, God, I used to do some things that I know weren't pleasing to you. I don't want to do them anymore. And then you get to know him some more. And you say, God, it was a long time that I called myself a Christian before I could say, God, I love you. So you get to that place in your relationship with God and you say, God, I love you. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to help your kingdom. I want to further your kingdom. I don't, I don't want to be self-absorbed in this, to use this language. It's not just about me, Lord. Thank you for what you did for me. But what can I do for you? What do you want to do not only to me and for me, but what do you want to do through me? So that's, that's where it goes from there. So, so not only going to the World Geek Festival and not only doing the outreach and introducing people to God, he doesn't do that for him. He does it because he loves God, and he does it because the people out there, he wants them to, hey, check out my God. Look what he can do. He loves you more than you know. So generativity towards God's kingdom. And then the last step in these, in these eight steps is integrity versus despair. And that's sort of a self-reflection thing. Uh, as people are nearing the end of their life, it is the way that the psychologist sees it. 
the good news is that we don't have to wait until the end of our life to do, to do that self-reflection. So the self-reflection and the self-assessment is where our self-talk comes from. So when you get up in the morning, what do you say to yourself about yourself? That's right. I don't know if you heard her, what, she, what she tells herself in the morning. She gets up and she says, God loves me. And, and if you don't know what to say to yourself, you look in, the, look in those scriptures and you see what God says I can. Because you wake up in the morning and you say, God says I am this. God says I can. God says he loves me. So when you're doing your self-talk, and I, all of the, I've, I've, for the last year or two, I've done a fair amount of studying of leadership uh, to help me uh, in, in all the different parts of my life, uh, in, in, including my job, but not just for that. And one of the things that all of the teachers talk about is your self-talk, because we all talk to ourselves. We all say, man, I don't feel good, and I think I got this ailment. Or That's not what God says. So, so think about what God says. So that's, that's my encouragement to you, is to think about what God says about you, because he knew you before you knew yourself before you could start thinking about yourself and reflecting on yourself. He knew you before he put you in the womb. He's, he's the one who made you. The one who created you knows you better than you know yourself. And he tells you, these are the things you can do if you want to do the works of God. You believe in the one whom he sent. These are the things you do if you want to walk with me. Believe and trust. So that's where I'm going to close just with those reminders of what we need to tell ourselves when we talk to ourselves. Uh, I encourage you to spend time one-on-one -on -one with God to find out who he says you are because he's got some things that are specific to you that don't apply to me, and he's got some things for me that don't apply to you. He, can, he, he knows your tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And he knows how you're going to get through it. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to turn it back over to you uh, to close this out. Father, you're so good to us. You love us more than we can even understand what that verb means, to love. You sent Jesus as a personification of it. And your word tells us that you are love. You created us, and you know us better than we know ourselves. And you said some things to us about who we are and how you feel about us and what we can do. And, Lord, when we encounter things that would try to tell us differently, Holy Spirit, teacher, comforter, helper, remind us of the things that Jesus said. That's what Jesus said you were going to do. You were going to remind us of the things that Jesus taught us. So, Teach us, Lord. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Bring back the things to mind that Jesus said about us and who we are. Remind us, Lord, in the hard times that we walk through in life, remind us what you, what you said about us.
how you feel about us, what you said about us. God, bless this church. Bless the people here. Go with them. Go before them. Each person here has a sphere of influence that's different from everybody else's. And, Lord, you know how to make them most effective where they walk. Bless our pastor, Lord, and our brother Mike and the men and women with them who are going to South America who have said, I don't know exactly what you got for me here, Lord, but I know you want me to go, and I'm willing to be used. And that's all you want, Lord, is somebody who's willing to go. And these people have said, send me, Lord. So thank you for being with them, for going before them, for filling them up with what needs to come out of them, ministering to them and through them. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do and for the reports that we're going to get back. We praise you for that. Thank you, Lord, for being here with us today, speaking to us and through us. Go before us this week. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.